Welcome to the Brian Buffini Show. David Lally here, producer of the show, and I'd like to congratulate Brian on the success of his new book, The Emigrant Edge. It's now a New York Times, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and Amazon bestseller. So if you haven't gotten a copy yet, do yourself a favor, get down to your local or online bookseller. In the meantime, here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you. So excited to be with you here today. As we always try to provide you the very best in presentations and material and content that'll bless your life, we also reach out on occasion to do some interviews. And it's always people who've been there, done that, and achieved at the highest levels possible. Well, today's guest, if I just talked about a resume, that's all we do for about 45 minutes. Joetta Clark Diggs is a four-time Olympian. Let's just think about that for a second. She's a four-time Olympian. Just to make it once in your life is a dream come true. So between 1979 and 2000, for over 21 straight years, she competed at the highest level in the 800 meters and the 1500 meters, culminating in the year 2000 in the Olympic trials at the age of 38, competing against girls half her age, She just made one of the most remarkable last-ditch efforts to qualify for the Olympic team, make her fourth team. She is a remarkable human being, comes from a, a very unique family. Her dad is Dr. Joe Clark, and he was immortalized by Morgan Freeman in the film Lean on Me. So that's pretty cool when Morgan Freeman plays your dad. And maybe best of all, She had a very famous roommate back at the University of Tennessee who is still one of her closest friends today, my beautiful wife, Beverly Buffini. Joetta and I have been friends for 30 years. Joetta, I am honored to have you here today. So excited to expose our audience to you. Thanks for joining me from New Jersey today. Well, thank you very much for having me on your show, Brian, and thank you for that great introduction. (laughs) Well, like I said, if I was to give them all of what you did in college and high school and the number one athlete in the country and all the things you've done, it's remarkable. But who you are is pretty, pretty remarkable. And I want to expose folks to that today, as well as getting into that Olympic mindset. You know, we're trying to help people improve their lives. We want people to, whether it's mindset, whether it's motivation, or whether it's actual methodologies and practical how-tos. So let's start off for a little bit. Let's give these folks a a little background. You're a Jersey girl. Talk about your early life growing up in Jersey. (laughs) Well, you know, Brian, I love Jersey. I'm a Jersey girl, as you said, and I had a wonderful childhood. I think I did. You know, when you're growing up, sometimes you don't really have much to compare to. But you know your parents love you, I had uh, siblings, and we got along, and that was a great thing. We traveled, you know, we went to school, we ran track, and we did things that kids did during that time period, which was go outside and play and study. We didn't sit in front of computers all day long. <laughs> Our parents kept, <laughs> kept us active, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> yep. so I had a, what I would call a very nice childhood, and I guess uh, if the kids look at my childhood now, they would think that it was boring, but it's such yeah. a foundation. Well, it's funny. We had the comedian Sinbad at one of our events here some time ago, and he said, you know, when we were kids, it used to be, go to your room. That was punishment. And he goes, now for the kids, it's go outside. And like, ah! <laughs> no, can I bring an extension cord? <laughs> so tell me this. How old were you when you discovered not only running, but that uh, you might have a, a special gift in this area? 
Well, I'm going to take that one word out, discovered, uh-huh. uh, and put in, had no option but to do it. Okay. My father wanted us to, to run, so we had no option. I don't know if it was a discovery period or not. Yep. He said that, you know, you were going to run distance. And at that time, my brother and I were just the only kids. My sister came 15 years later. Mm-hmm. And he said, you're going to run distance no matter what. And he said, the reason why, he said he wanted to dispel the notion that black Americans could not run distance wow. at that time. Wow. And even now, most of the distance runs were Africans sure. from Africa. So he said, whatever your parents tell you to do and if they get behind you and provide you access, you can achieve it. So, Brian, I didn't discover anything. He t- <laughs> it kind of fell on me. <laughs> and, and we didn't talk back. So I just went along with the running. And to, as time you know went on, I did discover that I had talent. Yeah. And I had to train hard. And that's what I did. Let's segue here for a second, okay? Your dad in the movie Lean on Me is referred to as Crazy Joe Clark. Yes. And it's a great movie for those that haven't seen it. One of my favorites, actually. And uh, here he is, you know, walking around the school with a bullhorn, took over a very tough school, an underperforming school, and turned it around and created this phenomenal educational experience. But discipline was his calling card. Yes. Talk a little bit about Joe Clark and what it was like being Joe Clark's daughter. Well, the movie, for those who saw Lean On Me and those who will see Lean On Me, portrayed him very mild compared to what he really was like. <laughs> You're kidding me. <laughs> no, 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 I, I kid you not. Um, but there was love in his stern hand, yeah. and my mother helped balance everything. Mm. He always said that, you know, you need the discipline to say no and stay on course to your success. Mm. So he had to discipline us, he thought, to be able to deal with everything that we would handle outside of the house. Sure. But he was just basically trying to help us to remain focused. And I think that as I look back at it, I thank him for you know having us focused and disciplined and organized and giving us those skill sets mm-hmm. that we would need in school and in business and in life, Brian. Yeah. We've talked about this a lot, but I can't remember you saying that the movie was a soft portrayal. That's yeah. great. Yeah, something else, something else. But, you know, out of that came, and you are to this day an extremely disciplined person. You're extremely focused. You're extremely on it. Talk to us a little bit about the concept of discipline and what role it plays in success. Well, I think when people think of discipline, they think of doing the same monotonous thing over and over again. And I think... What I would like to say is that the discipline is having the ability to do something and to reach beyond where you are in order to grow. Mm -hmm. So that's my discipline is that I don't want to become stagnated. So I try and reach and to develop different skill sets that will help me to be a better person. Mm -hmm. And the better I am, the better I am for someone else. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I wake up early in the morning. I try and exercise. I try and eat right. But that is just a schedule that I use for success. Mm. If for some reason, however, I falter on one of those things, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to have a good day. And I think that we have to realize that. So just because you're disciplined, if you're doing the same thing over and over again and you're not growing, that's kind of productive. Mm. I love that. Your discipline is your schedule for success. That's pretty spectacular. So let's yeah. go through it a little bit. You had great success in high school. Talk about your high school career and what you were able to get achieved during that time. I don't want to talk too much about my accolades, but I, yeah. I will say that I was the top high school recruit 
1980 in any sport in the country. Mm. And I didn't say that. That was Sports Illustrated. Yeah. I came out with Patrick Ewing and Herschel Walker and Cheryl Miller, some of those athletes, and I was a top high school recruit. I went undefeated, and I had a really illustrious career. Did well at nationals, you know, won nationals. And so that kind of set the... Just so you know, when you say do well at nationals, I'm an Irishman. (laughs) I'm from a little town. For us, doing well at nationals is getting on the bus, just so you know, just just to give you a concept. So, yeah, when you're lapping the field like you were, you know, pretty spectacular. (laughs) So that discipline, along with the talent, became your schedule for success. I mean, think about it. First of all, 1980, you know, think about all the different sports in America. Now, track played a much more prominent role. You know, it's still a phenomenal sport today, but track was a huge deal in 1980. It was a huge deal between the Americans and the Russians, right, in the East and the West. And I remember years ago talking to then Bruce Jenner, talking about how 85,000 people in Stanford Stadium to watch uh, a meet between the USA and Russia. It was a big, big deal. And so you ended up being a a Lady Vol and going to Tennessee. How did that all happen? Well, when I went on my recruiting visits, I... Liked going to that university. I felt good. It was it was close to home. Mm-hmm. By that, I could fly there in about an hour and a half, mm-hmm. and uh, that was close enough for me. The coach promised me. She said, "Joetta, if you come to UT, we will win nationals your freshman year." Mm. And she had a very good recruiting class, and we did win mm-hmm. nationals my freshman year. So she stayed true to her promise. But mm-hmm. I enjoyed being a lady ball. I learned a lot. I learned about uh, seeing women in power. You have to understand, Brian, when I was growing up, I saw my mother, who had her own business, and my father. But most of my coaches and the athletic directors were all men. When I went to UT, we had women in charge, the women were winning, and the athletic department was all women. So that was the first time that I really had opportunity to see the effect and effectiveness of women in sports and business and the effect that we have on kids. Mm-hmm. So watching Debbie Jennings, who was our sports information director, mm-hmm. Gloria Ray, who was the athletic director, yeah. my coach was Terry Crawford, Pat Head Summit was there, and these women were winning, they were kicking butt and taking names. And <laughs> Pat were, Summit was the greatest coach in America yeah. for the best part of 15 years. Absolutely, and when I saw that, I knew that that is where I wanted to be. And I wanted to be in this sports industry some way. I didn't know how. I was only 18. But I knew I liked what I saw these Mm -hmm. women doing. And I said, I could do that. So go to UT, run, graduate, and learn from these women. Wow. This is just for me. All the tens of thousands of people can listen in. But tell me this. What was it like being Beverly Robinson's roommate? (laughs) It was amazing, Brian. It was. It was, you know... And I'm going to be, you know, quite honest. Beverly was the reason why my spirituality took off. Mm. Because uh, until that time, I was in the closet Christian. By that, I would, you know, do my psalms, say my prayers, and ask for forgiveness when I did something wrong. (laughs) But uh, I learned that it was a lot more to it than that. And I had seen my parents do it, but never really had a peer. Mm. And Beverly was really rooted. And so by seeing her... Doing that and being involved in reading the Bible and being kind and living the lifestyle, I said, this is really good. She's at peace. She was nice and humble, and I wanted to do that. So that was what I really got out of of our roommate situation was that Christianity and being a good person and also a good athlete. And all these years later, you know, when anything is going awry, she's just a phone call away. Yep. (laughs) 
Same for me. Lou Holtz used to say about his wife, he said, I used to pray for her, now I pray to her. (laughs) (laughs) You can't go wrong with that. Happy happy wife is a happy life. Oh, yeah. That's that's the whole thing. It's worked for me, darling. She is special. That's been great, and it's been great to see your guys' friendship over the years and how close you guys are. You don't have to talk for six months, and then when you guys get together, it's like you were there yesterday. Absolutely. So you went on from UT, and did you make your first Olympic team while you were there? No, I did not. You know, for the mathematicians out there, I tried out six times. So 1980... 1984, I did not make it, yeah. but I did make it after that. So, no, I didn't make it when I was in school. So let's talk about that, because people hear this stuff, and they go, okay, here's this gal. She was the number one recruit in the country. Everything just came easy to her. Let's just walk through this for a second. Your daily training regimen was what when you were at, at UT, for example? Well, we were student-athletes. So at mm-hmm. UT, I had to do a morning run. I remember uh, out there in the cold and the snow uh, <laughs> running out there. No matter what, we did the morning runs. We went to class, and then we would come How much back. running would you do in the morning run? It would depend. It could be three miles. It could be four miles. Mm-hmm. But it was all done before 6.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. Because we had class at 7.30, 7.15. So we, that would vary. But I would do that, go to class, come back for the afternoon workout. So what would the afternoon workout consist of? So that could be a B work on the track, uh, intervals, fault lick hills. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be about an hour and a half of actual running mm-hmm. between the warm-up and the workout and cool-down. Sure. And then we go to the training room if necessary. Then we would go eat and then study and then, you know, start it again. Great. But I think that that regiment, again, we talk about discipline, that, that regiment, you know, you always say uh, remain focused. Follow one course until successful. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. I followed that course until I became successful. And I think that when I look at my life as an adult and as a kid, the one constant thing is that I never gave up. I always found a way to remain relevant and I found a way to to succeed. And I think a lot of times people, women, men, kids, they find a way to give up. Yeah. And they don't feed into the way for them to succeed. Well, and that's the beautiful thing here. I always feel people forget the most important part of their story when they're telling their story. Because everybody wants to talk about, here's the four Olympics you made. I think sometimes there's more to be learned from the Olympics you don't make. And you look at it and you go, from 1980 to 1984, how many thousands of hours, how many tens of thousands of miles did you run, eat right, work out, exercise, do everything you could? And that's the thing people don't, they forget about the Olympics in this instant gratification world. You bust your your butt to try to make the 80 team and you don't get there. And then right. you give everything you have for four years, six days a week, running before 6.30 a.m. I didn't know there was such a thing. <laughs> and here we yeah. go, and you're grinding it out, and you're doing your thing, and you don't make it again. And now you've got, i got to wait till 1988. Mm-hmm. So you toiled ultimately for eight years right. before making your first Olympic team. Absolutely. And that's frustration. But frustration... It's a sign of investment. Mm. If you don't get frustrated, that means there's no investment into Mm. what you're trying to do. So I was frustrated, but the frustration and the investments, it created some kind of expectation. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to make Olympic teams, and I was disappointed. But when you're disappointed, if you don't stay true to your vision, then the frustration never comes to fruition. By that I mean when you're frustrated and you give up, 
you are a failure. Mm-hmm. You only fail if you don't get back in there and try again. Right. So You're only a failure if you stop, right? If you stop. So when I was frustrated not making 80 and 84, it was unresolved. And when the frustration is unresolved, you fail. So I had to get back in there and figure out what I was doing right, tweak some things that would help me make the next teams. So that's what I did. I got rid of my coaches. That was wrong. <laughs> they were not giving me what I needed. Okay. I didn't have a team around me that was feeding into, yes, you can. Yeah. And I didn't believe in them. And so that caused the problem. But what didn't change was my work ethic. Mm. I still trained hard. So I got rid of the team, got people who believed in me. I believed in them. And I kept training hard. So in 1988, boom, I made my first Olympic team. Yeah. That's amazing. And, you know, you think about it. I mean, because I'm obviously in the coaching business, and we see this all the time. You know, you keep doing the same thing. You keep getting the same results. And, you know, you ultimately upgraded your coaches. And people who believed in you, it's a big deal. And you think about this, you know, you you came out, and when you're the number one recruit in a country, you're supposed to be all that in a bag of chips. Yes. And I got to see this with my son in football in Texas, where there was a bunch of kids that came throughout – his four years in college that were Mr. Texas football or Mr. Indiana football who didn't make it a year because they expected everything to be given to them. This sense of entitlement. My kids are playing on a very competitive school volleyball team that won the city championship last year. And this one girl comes along, super talented girl, joined the team, and she's got some things to work through. And she wasn't starting. And before their first game this season, she just quit. Mm. And the mom is all upset, and she's like, no, we're going to quit. We're not going to play. They're going to switch schools next year. And if it doesn't go that way, they're going to – and all of a sudden, they're doomed. You know, they're just Mm. doomed. Unless she has a major, you know, the come to Jesus in regards to her own talents and abilities. You know, you're supposed to be this talented person. It's very easy for you to have that sense of entitlement. That didn't happen. Obviously, you got great grounding from your mom and dad. But ultimately, you had all these people's expectations on you. You had your own expectations. It didn't happen. What ultimately kept you from quitting and giving up or feeling the frustration to turn into anger or resentment? What was it that kept you from going there and that you used it to fuel what became the longest track career in U.S. history? Well, that's a, you know, a good question. How did I use my failures to succeed? And I mm-hmm. think the one thing I can say is that you have to have the ability to survive frustration. Mm-hmm. But what kept me going was that I had a dream. And just because people around me or I didn't achieve it at that time, right. I wasn't going to give up. There you go. I got back on the wagon and I tried harder. And, you know, you always say by the yard is hard, by the inch is a cinch. Yep. I took it one step at a time. I didn't let things around me distract me. Sometimes we get so focused on the things around us that we forget about the goal before us. Mm. But I didn't do that. I had the ability to stay focused on my goals. And just because I didn't succeed or win that race, it didn't mean that I was a loser and that I would not be successful. So that is what I was able to do. I was able to manage my conflicts, manage the frustration, and still keep my destiny, still keep my vision, still keep my goals right in front of me. And it's just like when you're running the two laps, and those of you who have watched some videos, especially my last race, Mm -hmm. you will see that I was in last place. And people will go, Joetta, you were in last place. You know, how did you find the way to move up forward? One thing is that we sometimes think it's all about us, but there's a higher power, and so that was my calling. Mm -hmm. But when I looked at last place, 
and I saw my sister and sister-in-law up in the front about to make the Olympic team, <laughs> I yep. said to myself, this is what it comes down to. Not what your mother told you, not what your father told you. What can you summon from yourself mm-hmm. to make something happen immediately? And sometimes when we are trying to do things and, and help people out and, and grow, we want to take our time. Mm-hmm. But in that race, the decision had to be made instantaneously. I didn't have another second, another 30 seconds. It had to happen immediately. Mm-hmm. When I made that move, that one little step, I said, I can do this. I put energy in, Brian, and the next thing I know, faster and faster. I went from eighth place to fifth place within three seconds. Mm. But that wasn't good enough because only the top three made the Olympic team. <laughs> but my point is that I put a concerted effort in that first step. I didn't do a half behind first step. I made it count. And so when I'm trying to make an Olympic team or doing well in business, that first step, mm. that first burst of energy that's going to take you around the bend, mm-hmm. and that's what happened to me. What Joanna's talking about, if you guys haven't ever seen it, I watch it pretty regularly because if you want to have a just kind of a great little jolt in your day, instead of watching some goofy YouTube clip and, you know, <laughs> Charlie bit my finger type stuff, it's Joanna Clark Diggs, 2000 Olympic qualifier. And you're 38 years of age. I mean, you yeah. are the grand dame of racing at the time, and everybody's like, you know... Even the commentators were kind of ceremonially, isn't it great she's out here? You know, isn't it neat? And, you know, here you were. And at the end, you know, there's so many lessons to be learned about what you did that day. It's been called the greatest American race in the folklore of what it became. And I want to backtrack to this a little bit because that was amazing that a qualifying run could be that spectacular. It's just something for people who who feel like they've been given up or, or beaten up or they've experienced failure or they, they've been told or they feel like I'm too old or I'm too this or I'm too that, I'm too the other, to dig in there. But one of the things that fascinates me about you, Joetta, is you know you tried to make two Olympics and then you finally make the third one, right? So here you yeah. are, it's 88, you make the Olympics, you have this great experience. Many people after, you know, it's 12 years. I mean, it is a long time. <laughs> yeah. Many people, they reach that mountaintop and then they're done. And it's one thing to get to the top. There are very, 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 very few people who've ever stayed at the top. Right. What was your mindset? and Why were you able to persevere when so many people give up? So here you are. It's 1988 and you make the team. What is it that had you pushed through to make the 92 team? Well, I had success in 88 making the Olympic team. Even though the Eastern Bloc countries were dominant, I had success. And sometimes... The very thing that someone says is not a big deal was a big deal. Making the Olympic team was a big deal for me. And I said, I did this one. Let's try and do better next time. Mm. And you know what happened, Brian? In 1989, you know, the wall went down in East Germany. Mm -hmm. The Eastern Bloc countries, all that broke down. So I am no longer in the back of the pack. I am now my time of Mm -hmm. 157, 158 is one of the best in the world because the girls that were running 155, 156 were on steroids and yeah. not around anymore. Right. Right. So now I'm able to compete. But if I had given up in 1989 and 1990, right. I wouldn't be able to have made my 
second team and not only make it, make the finals yep. and still be older. Well, you know, it's funny. Same thing happened to Scott Hamilton. Scott yeah. Hamilton was, you know, he was seventh or eighth in the world. And then a bunch of guys retired and all of a sudden he's there. And, and here's an interesting piece. See, I believe and I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people who've been successful in many, many areas of life. And the number one thing I hear all the time is that if you keep showing up, if you keep putting your hat in the ring, if you keep being consistent, other people just fall away. And, you know, in, in this case, you had the Eastern Bloc that were all doing, they were on the juice. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, that, that got exposed and put away. You keep showing up. The next thing you know, you've moved up the pack by just keep putting your hat in the ring. And, and that shows up so many. It shows up in business. It shows up in life. It shows up in health. There's just so much to be said for just persevering and keep going, isn't there? Not only did I show up. I kept my preparation. Mm. So just because they show up, am I still training? Am mm-hmm. I still eating right? Am I still resting? Mm-hmm. Do I have a team around me that believes in me? Mm. You know, all those things work together. So it's not about just showing up. You better do some of the work on the off season. So when you show up, you'll be effective. And that's what I was. When I showed up, they said, oh, there's Joetta. They know one thing. I may not win that race, but they're going to have to be on top of the game to beat me. Mm. And the same thing in business. I might not have the biggest brand out there, but when I show up to do something, they know that it is complete, I am ready to perform, and I'm going to be on point. Well, when you do your speaking engagements, you know, I'm I'm kind of a fanatic for preparation and presenting, and you are one prepared lady, you are one fired up lady, and you give a heck of a lot more. And any of the, I know we have a lot of business leaders who listen to this podcast, and if you're looking for someone to light up an audience, <laughs> Joetta's going to bring the same preparation to your audience she brings to Olympic Games. That's right. No doubt about it. So here it is 21 years. 21 years. I mean, the average track career is what, four, four and a half years? Is that what I've read? Maybe. And, and Brian, I don't, I don't want you to short me any. Uh, yeah. It was more like 25 years. Sure. Well, it was 21 years of, of Olympics, right? And then oh, it yes, was probably yes. longer than that. I, I think Beverly said it was 28 years you were still running yeah. and doing your thing. <laughs> yes. You have a formula that we've talked about in our living room, around kitchen tables, uh, yeah. when you've come in from out of town with the fam. And yeah. uh, you always talk about ace in your race. And I love this, and I really want to expose our audience to this. You're big on acronyms. You had your focus, which is, you know, follow one course until success. But Mm -hmm. you have this thing called ACE, which is accountability, uh, credibility, and enthusiasm. Just for a little teaching time here, I'd love you to share on those three principles because I think they're so valuable. Yes. Accountability. You know, don't let your emotions pull you away from your destiny. Mm. Be accountable. Don't get so sidetracked on, I didn't do something right, so then you end up doing something wrong. Mm. Stay true to who you are. My race strategy is what it is. So don't try and change it because someone else is doing something differently. Stay Mm. true to what I am, who I am. Be accountable. So that's the accountable part. And when I looked at my races, I can't blame anybody else. If the coach said to go out or whatever the strategy was, or I had to execute the plan. Mm-hmm. But so often, we want to blame everybody else mm-hmm. that we missed the mark. So accountability is important because once you are accountable, your greatness takes control. You said something there that's very profound, which is mm-hmm. the purpose of accountability is to not get sidetracked by your emotions. Right. I don't think most people realize that it's their day-to-day emotions that ultimately undermine their path, their success, their consistency, everything. Talk about some of the emotions you have to deal with on a regular basis as an elite athlete that are trying to sidetrack you. The one 
emotion that I had to deal with was that I wasn't good enough. Mm. I wasn't good enough. I didn't look right. You know, all of these things. But you know what? What you think about me is not my assignment. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) just because (laughs) it's not my assignment, right? Just because I don't have the look that you want to be marketed Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that I'm still not attractive and I still don't have value. Mm. So that emotion, you know, you're too old. Your time has come. You never, all those things. But what people said about me, that was their shortcoming. They think of themselves that way. Mm. So they looked at me. But I tell you one thing, Brian, extraordinary and ordinary. We can't waste our time dealing with ordinary people because they don't think like us. Mm-hmm. I'm extraordinary. You are extraordinary. So we don't waste time trying to convince ordinary people mm. that we have extraordinary beliefs. Yeah. So that is what I learned. I never tried to convince anybody of anything. I knew who I was, who I am, and yeah. what I was able to do, and I made sure that I did that. So that's the accountability piece, yeah. but that's also the emotional piece. That's huge. And, and here's the truth. There is, and I have discovered, I mean, we've coached, Tens of thousands of small business owners. We have seen remarkable performances over and over again over 22 years of doing this. And yet we have seen ordinary people become extraordinary in their business. But you just pointed out that if you want to be extraordinary, you can't spend your time conforming or trying to please or trying to connect with people who are committed to being ordinary. Right. And you just fit in with the crowd. I used to say, don't follow the crowd because they don't know where they're going. (laughs) They're lost. Right? And you're going, it's not your assignment. But it doesn't mean that those thoughts don't come in, those emotions don't attack. But yet, okay, you go back to your dream, you go back to your your schedule for success, and it's your daily routines and your disciplines while focusing on your dream that you never give up and pull you through. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better. You got the point. You do a lot of this, Mm -hmm. so you understand it, but I want your audience to know what I say is how I live my life, mm-hmm. and sometimes I'll fall off the wagon. Sure. I'm human, and I make mistakes, and you know, I do that self-talk as well. Yeah. You know, what in the world am I doing out here? Mm-hmm. I could be home. So I do that, but the one thing that kept me going then in sports and keeps me going in business is that I really believe that I can make a difference. Mm. So as an athlete, I was making a difference because I was black, and then and I am black, and I, I ran distance. That was something people didn't see. Mm-hmm. I was 38 years old and made my last <laughs> Olympic team. That's something that people didn't see. Mm-hmm. So I am a testament, and people can say, if she can do it, mm-hmm. I might not be an Olympian, but I could be the champion of my life. Let mm-hmm. me try and do that. So that's what I talk about. Everyone can't make four teams, one team, or anything, but you can be the best and the champion of your life. Love it. Love that. And that takes me to credibility. Yeah. You know, are you credible? Are you a good witness? Are you credible? Some people, you know, don't want to be role models. They don't want to be this. They don't want to do that. But you have to be a credible witness. And mm-hmm. credibility came because I ate right. I was healthy. I didn't do drugs. I trained hard. I studied. So I, I did all those things that made me a credible witness. And so when people see me and when they saw me as an athlete, they said, you know, gosh, she's different. Another way of putting that, you know, in today's vernacular would be a little bit of it made you authentic. I mean, you yes. you are who you say you are. Why is credibility and authenticity such a big deal to you? It's a big deal to me because it's the foundation. Mm. It's the foundation of who I am. You know, storms come to test the foundation. Mm. So if you're not credible and if you're not accountable, right. every time a storm comes, your foundation is going to just crack. Yeah. 
So that being authentic and true to who I am and true to who you are. Yeah. Now, it doesn't mean that you can add new things and ideas into your your mix. Yeah. But your basic foundation, who you are, what you believe in, what you stand for, right. your pride. Pride, that means confidence. Sure. You know, the confidence that you can withstand things and make decisions that are going to be positive. You know, so often we uh, we get into a habit. I always say, don't make permanent decisions over a temporary situation. Right. Just because you didn't win the race doesn't mean your coach isn't good. Yeah. Just because you didn't get the contract doesn't mean your proposal wasn't good. Right. You know, so we have to be able to, to decipher that and, and figure out what do we have what did I have to get back in there? And what I had to get back in there was that I was enthusiastic and I was hungry. So what I hear with this, if I'm going to package this whole credibility piece together, mm-hmm. what I'm hearing is character. And that character counts and that it, it showed up in all of these different forms of being who you say you are, doing what you say you do, and that, that ultimately wins. The last part here of the ace is uh, I don't think we have to explain this too much because you're bursting through the call here. You are this. You live this. It's who you are. But talk about the power of enthusiasm and why it's such a big deal. you got to be hungry. You have to mm. want it every day. It has to be a part of who you are. You can't turn it off. You can't turn it on. It has to be who you are. Now, mm-hmm. there are different levels. People's hunger, their enthusiasm, it, it, it varies. My sister-in-law was quiet and reserved, but when you put her in her element to do what she had to do, she unleashes the power of her greatness. Yeah. You guys have the first family of track. Let's just take a second yeah. there. Just explain <laughs> what the rest of the family looks like. Okay. Well, I would do that. Um, you have myself, yeah. four-time Olympian and many-time world champion and then you have my sister-in-law who married into the great family. <laughs> she is a five-time Olympian, two golds and one silver. That's Gerald Miles Clark. Yeah. She married my brother, J.J. Clark, who in his own right graduated from Villanova with a four-minute miler. He is a world-renowned coach, and he is currently at UConn mm-hmm. coaching, but he was also the Olympic coach. And then you have my sister, who was 15 years younger, who made three Olympic teams. Her <laughs> first team in 2000 was my final team. So then she went on to make two other teams. So we are considered the first family of track and field, and we have a a lot of accolades too. You guys sit around Thanksgiving, you got like 15 Olympics between you, and it's it's kind (laughs) of an unusual get-together, isn't it? It it was, and to (laughs) to not have anyone at the last two Olympic Games was kind of weird because we had had someone – from 1988. Well, well, hold on there now. Talitha is 15, your daughter, and uh, we have great hopes for her. She is killing it right now on track, isn't she? Yeah, she's doing a great job, and it's so funny. She's making a name for herself, which is a good thing, and your kids are athletic as well, and, mm-hmm. and your mother, your wife was an uh, Olympian. So it's always good to see the kids doing something, but the best thing to do is to see the kids making their own name for themselves, and what my daughter is doing is she's making her name in another event. She will not run the event that I did. <laughs> That's smart. <laughs> so she's making her name uh, uh, in, in the sprints right now. But I yeah. think in time, she'll move up to the 800. But I, I want her <laughs> to enjoy it. Yeah. But when you are enjoying something, it doesn't mean that it's not going to be 
painful. Right. So let's talk about this thing called enthusiasm because, uh, you know, Zig Ziglar used to say enthusiasm. The last four letters are I-A-S-M. I am sold myself. Okay. Webster's Dictionary defines enthusiasm as possessed by God. Okay. So talk about enthusiasm and the importance of it. Well, you know, I do think I'm possessed by God. And I believe that when I look at what it is that I want to do and what it is that I need to do, I know what I got to do. Mm. And it's the got to do that keeps you enthusiastic. You know, I want to do, I need to do, I should do. And, and this is not correct English, but sometimes you have to throw all that away. I, what do I have to do? Ah, you got to do. I got to do yeah. this. And when you got to do, is stronger than what I need to do. Mm. That's the enthusiasm. Level. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's awesome. I know Joe Clark wouldn't appreciate the diction, but he, you're so right on. I mean, it's it is, and maybe that's the sticker we need to get. Just got to do it, and it's yes. because there's a lot of people who want, and there's a ton of people who need. Yes. So how do you stay enthusiastic? You know, the world's gone bananas politically, culturally, social media, the news. It's one big giant Debbie Downer. Yeah. I mean, I know what I do, but what what do you do to stay so fired up all the time, Joette? I mean, you you come walking in the door and the lights go on whether the electricity's on or not. <laughs> well, Brian, thank you for saying that. But the one thing that I do is I stay connected to God. I, that's my spiritual base. So I mm-hmm. always try and find something. Something is always revealed to me that's going to get me through mm-hmm. the the day and mm-hmm. through the situation. So with that strong foundation, I know that I can make it because, you know, I'm the head, not the tail. Mm-hmm. By God, you can achieve anything that you want if you believe in God. He's a higher power. So I think of all of those statements, and then everything else just kind of falls into place. Once mm-hmm. I have that spiritual peace connected, I- I'm good. Mm-hmm. And then also enthusiasm. I look at what it is that I want to do, and I'm so passionate about it. So I get excited. Mm-hmm. And my husband, you know, sometimes he looks at it, doesn't understand <laughs> how I'm so pumped up all the time. And it's just, <laughs> <We're around. laughs> you're missing your opportunity yeah. because you're talking yourself out of things and you're mm. comparing yourself to somebody else. You have to be willing to run towards your blessing. And that's what I've been trying to do, trying to run to my blessing. Mm. And when you're being enthusiastic, there are going to be times when you're down. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you're out. Mm. And that is one thing that I never, I may have been down, but I'm not out. You've nice. always heard someone say, if I can look up, I can get up. Well, I believe that if I can look up, I will get up. Mm-hmm. Not that I can't, I will get up. And then continue on with what I'm here to do. Yeah. Amazing stuff. I love all this. I'm filling up notes pages full of stuff here, Joetta. It's just great. I can't believe I get to do this for a living. I get to talk yeah, to someone yeah, like you great. and just learn all day. This is great stuff. So let's do a couple of things here. We've done a few things that we enjoy here at the show. And one of the things we do is we ask five questions that you don't know are coming. Okay. And we've asked of every guest. And it's a kind of a cool, fun thing. And it gives a different perspective of a person and so on and so forth. And, you know, you'll hang up and you'll go, man, I wish I'd have said this or that and the other. But <laughs> let's go with this. The first question yeah. I have for you in the rapid fire is, what's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? The best piece of advice? Well, I, I'm going to have to go with this. To whom much is given, much is required. Mm. Because I have been given and been provided different opportunities. is my duty, my responsibility to give back. Mm-hmm. And, to, and to remain humble. Yeah, that's awesome. Awesome. That's a great one. Okay, what one talent or gift do you wish you possessed that you currently don't? 
I really wish that I could sing. You know, it's always. <laughs> I, wish that, I wish that I could really hold a tune outside of the shower. That would be <laughs> that would be really nice to be able to do that. I got to tell you, of the hundreds of interviews I've done or articles uh, we've done in our magazine, yeah. of the most successful people on the planet, it's I wish I could perform on stage or I wish I could sing. Isn't that a wild thing? <laughs> and all the singers want to be in business, right? The singers want to be ballers and the ballers want to be singers. You know, who knows? <laughs> Go figure, right? Yeah, that's all good. All right. Well, you make a joyful noise. That's the main thing. Okay. What book has been most instrumental in your life? I would say the Bible would be one. Yeah. I have a book, too. And I would say my book, The Joy of the Principles for Success. Yeah has been instrumental in my life because I was able to put down life strategies to pen to paper. Mm-hmm. But then I also have another book that I really enjoyed reading, and I don't know if it's a popular book for everybody, but I, I like reading The Seven Habits of Effective People. Seven Habits the, of Highly Effective yeah, People. Mm-hmm, by Stephen Covey. I yeah. thought that that was something that I read you know, many years ago that kind of set the foundation for me to go off and, and do what I'm doing now. Yeah. You and 100 million others. So, yeah, one of the greatest development books of all time. In fact, if you walk through the Buffini headquarters, you'll actually see we have right next door in our sales building, we have the Covey Training Center. So it's a big room where we we do all our train, all our salespeople and all of our marketers and so on and so forth. And we have a lot of rooms dedicated to different mentors of mine. But So that would be a popular one for me. Okay, couple more. Favorite song or music? You know, Talitha's in the car with you and you're playing your song or your music that just gets you going. And yeah. she's like, oh, mom's playing her song again or playing her music. <laughs> what is it? What What is it that gets you going? What's your tune? I'm playing old school club music. Mm, Anything get, old school club, anything that has that boop, 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 and this fun spirit beat. I'm playing that. No profanity, just a nice beat with dancing. Yeah. Old time school, you know, uh, Sylvester or um, some house music. Then that would be some of the songs that I would uh, listen to. That gets me going. Nice. If I go on the milder side, I like listening to uh, Whitney Houston. All right. I like her music. There we go. Beautiful. Okay. You don't do this very often. You're not much of a TV watcher. But yeah. let's say it's an evening and you're scrolling through at a fast pace because you do nothing slow. <laughs> you're scrolling through and all of a sudden there's a movie. And you this movie you watch over and over again or you watch parts of it over and over again. What's yeah. the one movie you got to watch over and over again? You can never pass it up. Which one is it? Oh, uh, Brian, that's not fair. I got to watch my father's movie, Lean On Me. Come on! <laughs> <laughs> but outside of that one, I'm going to have to watch My Cousin Vinny. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> I'm going to have to watch My Cousin Vinny. When I see that movie on, I just stop and watch it. Yeah, so that's, that's it. Just proving once again you are a total Jersey girl, right? <laughs> there you go. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Brooklyn and New York, East Coast, you're right. But no, that's it, My Cousin Vinny. I, I stop in my tracks and, and well, watch Well, here's what I got today. I got pages full of notes and some powerful stuff. And first of all, frustration is the sign of investment. I think that's brilliant. I think you figured out what you were doing right, but then you upgraded your coaches and found people who believed in you. And, you know, that's great. I have coaches who are going to be listening to this. I have clients that we coach, and they know we have coaches that believe in them, and and it's, it's going to be great for these folks to hear this stuff. The bottom line is you had a dream, and you focused on the dream, and that's what ultimately pulled you through. That followed up with your ace, your accountability and the credibility and the enthusiasm that allowed you to go and pursue and become one of the greatest sports stars in American history, but do it in a way that was inspiring to other people. I'm going to put a little phrase up in my office, the got to do, the got to do. That, that is great, and I'm going to run towards my blessing. 
Down but not out. If I can look up, I can get up. I, I love yeah. that. And uh, to whom much is given, much is required. And so you've given me a lot of time today. You've given our audience a lot of time today. You are a blessing to me and my wife. We love you. We love your family. Love your energy, girl. And I'm so excited. We're going to be having you at a couple of future Buffini and Company events because we want to bring the, the energy that you bring to our audiences. And I know many, many people will be doing the same. So we're just very, very excited, Joetta. And I want to thank you for spending your day with me today. Well, Brian, I can't let you go that quickly because I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to, to be gracious enough to have me on your show. So often people get to a point in life where they just may think they are, are beyond reproach, and you've been such a humble friend, and you continue to do what you're put here to do. And with that being said, I want to thank you for taking time to have me on your show and having me in your house and having me as a friend and getting me, getting uh, my daughter, who is now friends with your daughters. It's just yep. one evolution. And so... Yep. Well, you, you, your family is great people. You're a great man, and, and, I, and I thank you for that you do as well. It's a mutual appreciation society, girl. I love you and love your family. And I'm going to finish up our podcast with yes. uh, a few little thoughts. Uh, first of all, I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did, I would encourage you to either head over and leave a review on iTunes so we know the kind of stuff that you're enjoying. Also, share this show with a friend. Who do you know that could benefit from a little jolt of Joetta Clark Diggs today? Who do you know that's down and needs to get up? And who do you know that's discouraged? And maybe they've they've pursued their dream a couple times, like the 80 and the 84 Olympics, and yet they need to persevere and don't realize that there's four more Olympics to be reached and plenty more. So please, uh, continue to share the show. We thank you for doing that. It's growing at a rapid pace. We're in 157 countries and uh, we want to send out a blessing to all those people in all those different territories. And let me leave you today with a little blessing that my grandfather always gave. May the roads rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sunshine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. We'll see you next time. 